Well, if you couldn't tell by this reading for today, we're going to be talking about generosity. And you might have a guess or pinned down by now, too, that we're, we're going to be touching on financial generosity. Not because it's a topic I love to preach about, uh, but because God talks about it here. And because we've been working through the book, and I didn't think it was something that we could skip over. And so we're going to be talking about generosity. And I think uh, when we talk about generosity, God wants us to be generous with our entire lives, right? With every aspect and corner and niche of our lives. And, and that includes our, our finances. And so because that was the focus of our reading for today, that's going to be the focus uh, of our, our time together. Uh, as, as we'll touch on a little bit later, too, in, in our world today, what we tend to do um, all too often is we segment our lives, right? So we have our, our spiritual life, our church life, we have our work life, our family life, uh, and then we have our financial life. And, and, and sometimes these different groupings and segments of our lives don't uh, even overcross. Uh, so uh, the people in our church have no idea what's going on in our work. Sometimes our, our families have no idea what's going on uh, with our finances. You hear about this sometimes where a spouse will find out after 20 years about the $100,000 in credit card debt uh, their, their, their spouse had, right? We, we very often segment our, our lives, but uh, God meant for our entire lives to be lived together. That is, that, that what is true in our spiritual lives applies to every aspect. And so when we talk about finances and generosity today, this is a deeply spiritual, spiritual topic. Um, what God has given us changes everything in our lives. It changes our work, it changes our homes, it changes our families, it changes our paychecks. And then, so we're going to be talking about all that today. Uh, but before we go any further, we, we should probably define some terms and some words here. And uh, those are words like rich and poor. Uh, I would guess that you have some pictures in mind when you hear those words, right? There is something or someone you picture when you picture someone rich. And there's also probably likewise someone that you picture, some, some picture that you have in your mind of, of what poverty looks like. And in our world for today, uh, just kind of generally speaking, those who are rich are those who have more, right? more home, more cars, more money in their pocket or their checking account. They take more vacations. They live more luxuriously. And, and those who are poor are, are those who have less, uh, who have less house, maybe not at all. Uh, those who are poor are those who have less cars, maybe only the one that they live in. Uh, if you're poor, it means you have less money, maybe only the the dollar bills that you have in your pocket, or, or you most definitely take less vacations, right? To be rich is to have more, and to be poor is to have less. And that's how our world defines it. That's usually how we think about it. I would guess that whatever picture you had in your mind, it looks something like that. Uh, but as we're going to see today, God completely redefines those words, and he turns it all upside down, and he gives us a new vision, a new portrait of, of riches and poverty. And and I promise you, it will be beautiful. Uh, but let's just kind of jump in now as, as we talk about that into our, our reading for today from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I, I think it's important and helpful, though, if I give you a little bit of background information on what's been going on and why Paul is writing these words. You see, uh, back in Jerusalem, back uh, kind of where this whole Jesus movement started, where it all began, where Jesus himself walked and talked and did his miracles and taught his messages. Back in Jerusalem, in, in the motherland of, of sorts, there's been a famine. And people are going hungry. And things are not looking good. 
and there's not food on the table, and when there is, it, it is costing an arm and a leg, right? People are, are spending paychecks on loaves of, of bread. And, and life for the, the Christians there in Jerusalem is really, really hard. And, and Paul knows about this. He's very familiar with uh, Jerusalem. It probably holds a special place in, in his heart, right? It, again, is the birthplace of the Jesus of movement. He's also spent a lot of time there. It was kind of like a second home for, for him. He had studied there for a number of years. He, he probably had lots of friends there, right? Christian brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And he was heartbroken uh, over what was going on there, it, just to see all of this poverty and this famine and people going hungry. And, and so uh, he has decided and, and been encouraged to do so that when, when he goes out on this missionary journey that he's on, that he's going to uh, make a collection in each one of the churches that he plants and starts. And so every time he goes to a new city and gathers together a, a new group of Jesus followers and, and tells them about their Savior's love, he's going to ask them for an offering, yeah, a, a gift that will eventually be sent back to Jerusalem to support the, the family there. Uh, now, this gift that he will be collecting will uh, ultimately have two purposes. One will just be very practical. It will help put food on the table uh, to the, the Christian brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem. Um, it will be their way of showing love and, and support, very much needed. Uh, but the other reason why Paul is making this collection is that it will be a symbolic act of unity. Uh, because as you might imagine, the, the Christians in Jerusalem, uh, on the whole, were, were largely Jewish believers, right? People who had once uh, followed uh, the Jewish faith, but now had come to see the fulfillment of that faith in the Messiah, Jesus. Uh, but the churches that Paul is starting are largely Gentile. They had no connection uh, to the Jewish roots. And uh, this Jewish-Gentile uh, division has caused problems. It's a topic of some of Paul's letters. And, and, and many people, uh, many Christians in this time, are trying to figure out, like, how do we live Together, what does it mean to be a true Jesus follower? Do you have to follow all of the, the Jewish rules and laws? Do you have to be circumcised or, or not? And, and this is always kind of a point of, of tension. And so this gift that he's going to collect for the, the church back in Jerusalem, it's going to be a sign of unity. As these Gentile churches make a, a financial sacrifice to Jerusalem, it'll be a way of saying that, that we are one. That there's not two churches, that there's not a split, there's no division. There's one church, one family, one group. We all follow Jesus, and that's what unites us, and we're in it together. It's not just a unity of mind, but we're actually going to make a, a real tangible sacrifice for you, our brothers and sisters. So that's what it was all about. And, and so Paul goes on this journey, and he's asking the churches for gifts. And one of the churches he asks for this offering from is the Corinthian church uh, that he's writing to today. And as we heard in the beginning, Paul comes to them. They're a wealthy city. they got more than most people could imagine. They have been financially, tangibly blessed. And so Paul uh, asks them if they'll make the gift, and they are excited, right? They're new to the faith. They've just learned about Jesus, and they're like, yes, we will help Jerusalem. We'll collect a gift. And, and in Paul's previous letter, 1 Corinthians, uh, to this town, he says, uh, here's, why don't you do this? Uh, why don't you set aside some money each week? Uh, when you get together, and uh, after a short amount of time, who knows how much you'll have. You guys are wealthy. Uh, you'll, uh, all, all of those weeks of giving will add up quickly. And so they're excited, and, and things look good. And, and then Paul goes on his way, and uh, another one of the, the areas that he visits is the region of Macedonia, where there are cities like Thessalonica, Philippi, and, and Berea. And, 
And uh, these cities and this region is a little bit different than Corinth in, in that it is not wealthy. Uh, these people are poor. He, he actually says extremely poor in our reading for today. These, these Christians, these people there have nothing. Uh, they have so little, in fact, that it seems as though that Paul doesn't even bother asking them for an offering. Because he knows, like, they don't have anything to give. These are paycheck to paycheck, and, and any little bit they have needs to go to feeding their family. Like, they, we, they just can't be asked at this time to, to make this kind of sacrifice. But the amazing thing is, though, that their hearts are so on fire for Jesus. They are so in love with him and, and moved by what Jesus has done for, for them that they beg and they plead for Paul to be able to send a gift. Right? Isn't that amazing? Like That's a, a problem every church would, would love to have. Like People calling up the pastor, texting him, emailing him in the middle of the night saying, how can I give more? I, I need to find the, the website link to, to give online. Right? That's, that's a problem Paul is facing in our reading for today. These, these Macedonian Christians who have nothing are, are just so on fire that they are ready to give no matter what it costs them. And this is amazing. Like, Paul is so moved by this, but it's also causing a little bit of a problem. Because, you see, while the Corinthians at first were so on fire, so anxious to give, uh, and, and while they have so much, it, it seems as though that excitement has waned. And while they started off maybe a few weeks putting their money together, passing around the plate, like, that has stopped. And and now they have nothing to show for it. Although they have so much, they have been so richly and financially blessed, their generosity is so small. And uh, I, I say this is a problem because Paul is going to be returning to Corinth uh, after he finishes writing this letter to them. And he's going to be bringing with him some of the leaders and officials from the other churches, like the Macedonian church. And, and these leaders, their people have sacrificed. They have nothing, but they've given everything. And they're excited, and they're on fire, and they're all coming, and they're probably thinking to themselves, look, our offering is pretty small in comparison to what the Corinthians are giving, but we can't wait to see how much they've collected and how much Jesus is doing through them. Oh my goodness, we can't wait to get there. And, and see how God has blessed uh, our, our giving together. That's what they're thinking. But Paul knows that the Corinthians haven't been making that collection. And, and so that's why he, he writes these words. He says because he doesn't want them to be embarrassed when these other leaders come. Uh, that's the dynamic at play today. Now the truth is we probably all know someone like those Corinthian Christians who has so much and yet whose giving is so little. The truth is we are all probably a little bit like that. There's, there's gifts that we have been given that we are just holding on to for dear life. We are not ready to give them away. There are blessings we have received that we just can't bring ourselves to share. And, and likewise, though, I, I would guess that you probably know someone like those Macedonian Christians, right? It seems to me like, uh, in my experience, some of the most generous people I've met are those that have the least. And I'm not talking about just purely dollar amounts, right? But I'm, I'm talking about like the, the attitude of, of their heart. Uh, you meet people who have nothing and, and yet those are like the biggest gift givers. And maybe the gifts aren't the most expensive, but it's still beyond, beyond their means. Uh, maybe, you, maybe you know someone like that. I, I see that in, in some of you. We have some various generous people here at Living Christ. Uh, there, there was someone 
for me, though, that came to mind when I was thinking about these Macedonian Christians, and it was uh, actually a guy that I went to college with, uh, someone that lived on my floor. I wasn't super close with him, but uh, I remember one night staying up late and uh, just talking in the dorm, and, and he was telling me about how he was going to propose to his girlfriend. And we were pretty young at the time, so I was just a, a little surprised. I was happy for him, though, because uh, she was a great girl, and I knew they had been together for a while, and, and they were really in love. And so I was happy for him, but I was also remember thinking, like, how are you going to buy a, a ring? Uh, we're college students. Uh, none of us have very much money, and I, I didn't think that his family was wealthy by any means. Um, so I just didn't know how he was going to make it happen, but he, but he explained to me, right? Uh, I mean, do you think that he was going to let this get in the way of, of him showing love and affection and commitment to his girlfriend? Not, not at all. He, he found a way. He, he worked extra hours. He saved up money. Maybe he did ask his family for a loan, but, but he did whatever it took. And I'm sure the ring wasn't the biggest rock of all, right? But he went beyond his means because he loved this girl so much. He, he found a way to show her generously his love for her. And that's what the Macedonians were doing. Uh, they, they went beyond their means. I, I love how Paul put it. Actually, at first he says they gave according to their means, and then he pauses and he kind of says, scratch that, they went beyond their means and they're giving. He doesn't even know how they did it. They're giving more than they're taking in. But that was the grace of God working through them. Uh, an amazing gift. Now, uh, I think it's interesting, uh, if we get back to this discussion on, on rich and poor, we see an example of each but it's flipped around from how we might think of it. And in God's eyes, the rich ones here are actually the Macedonians. Those who have little but give much are those who are rich. And meanwhile, those who are poor are the Corinthians. They have a lot on the outside. They have lots of stuff, lots of things they can look at and point to, but, but their hearts are empty or misguided and their giving is little. And so in God's eyes, those who are rich are those who have less but give more, and those who are poor who, who may have lots but, but who give little. And, and so God, though, is not ready to give up on the Corinthians, and neither is Paul. He, he longs for them to be truly generous, to be rich in God's eyes. Uh, it's interesting, though, how he gets them there. He's not going to command them to be generous, right? Because uh, tr true godly riches is not something that you can demand from someone. And Paul actually says it himself in verse 8. He says, I am not commanding you. He could have. He was an apostle, right? He could have said, look, I met Jesus. Uh, the risen Lord appeared to me on the road to Damascus. And, and he called me. So you better listen up, guys. But he doesn't do that. He says, I, I can't command you to be generous. I can't command you into riches. Instead, do you notice what Paul does? He simply points them back to Jesus. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul simply points the Corinthians back to everything they have in Jesus, a Savior who came into this world and lived the perfect life and then gave up that life sacrificially on the cross, emptying himself so that his people might be filled to life everlasting. True generosity. True riches can't come from commands and demands, but by a, a life trusting and believing in all that you have in Jesus. Uh, that's, that's why I think in, in verse 11, Paul encourages the, the Corinthians to finish the work that they started. Uh, that had practical implications, for sure, but, 
But I think it goes deeper than that. I think in Paul's mind, their finishing the work of generosity was merely the completion of faith. And in Paul's mind, true faith gives generously. Faith that trusts in Jesus and all that he's done for you can't help but give and share away. When you believe that you have a God who has poured so much into you, his very own life, and that he, he is still doing that and will continue to do that for all of eternity, that, that frees you to give away. And, and so Paul says, finish the work because that's what faith does. True faith in, in Jesus is a generous faith. And Paul wants them to have that faith that trusts and clings in the God who has done so much for them. He doesn't command them or demand them to give. And so as your pastor today, or as a pastor for some of you, I'm not going to command you either, even if I could. I'm just going to do what Paul did, right? I want to remind you about what Jesus did for you, about the generous grace that is yours in him. And that in Jesus, you have more than you could ever imagine. You have eternal security. You have hope for the future. You have forgiveness For today, you have a new life, a new beginning. All of that is yours in Jesus. And with a Savior like that, who of us can't help but be generous? Now, uh, having said that, I know that sounds very simple, right? Those who have been given to generously give generously. But it is is simple, I I suppose, Um, but it's not easy. And many of us, we have lots of obstacles that get in the way. And some of them we create ourselves. Some of them are very, very real. Um, I'll just share with you some of the obstacles I face when it comes to financial generosity. And and maybe some of you have faced the same obstacles. Uh, Obstacles like, well, I I can't give as much as that person. And so I'm just going to continue on the path I'm on. I'm not going to think too much about it because I can never be like them. They're just out of my league. And uh, that's why I, I love this passage today, because Paul doesn't highlight the Corinthians, who, were, who had the ability, at least, to give so much. He highlights these poor Macedonians, whose gift, practically speaking, may have been very little. Uh, but that didn't matter, because it was an attitude of the heart. That's what amazed Paul, that they went beyond their means, trusting in Jesus and his generous love. And so even if we're not able to, to, to give as, as much as some people, we are still called to be generous with what we have. Uh, the other obstacle we might face is something like, well, I, I can't give a certain percentage, like maybe, uh, maybe a, a 10% tithe, right? And, and we think that's kind of the standard, that's the bull's mark, and if we can't hit it, then why bother even trying, right? But I think it's so important that here and actually nowhere else does Paul or Jesus command his people to give a, a 10% tithe. That 10% tithe comes from, from the Old Testament, where, where God's people were commanded to give the first 10%. But what's interesting is that there were other tithes, too, added on top of that. Uh, tithes every three years for the poor, uh, uh, other tithes as well. And if you add up all those tithes every year, the, the Jewish people were required to give something like 13 and a half percent and it fluctuated by year. But you never hear that preached in a sermon. But, but Jesus and Paul never touched that 10% tithe. Uh, we are to give according to the heart what, what God has led us to give. And so even if we can't hit a certain percentage, even if we can't make what some might say is the bullseye, we are still called to be generous with what we've been given. And then the final obstacle I, I think about sometimes is, is I, I tell myself that my gift will be so small, what difference could it make? It's so insignificant. 
But again, Paul highlights as, as an example for us in many ways the Macedonians, whose gift was probably small and not all that significant in the eyes of the world. But Paul was amazed by it. Paul called it, uh, in verse 1 of our reading for today, a work of God's grace. Their generosity was a gift of grace, God working in them and then through them for the good of the church. That's why I think Paul tells the story of the Macedonians. It's why he tells the story of Jesus, to highlight the generous grace of God. It was the generous grace of God through Jesus and, and then through the Macedonian church that would hopefully motivate the Corinthians to give. But through it all, God, Paul, in our reading for today, we need our hearts to be on Jesus because he is the one who has been so, so generous with us. He has truly given us everything, everything we need and even more than we can imagine. And when we trust in that, when we believe in Jesus and all that he's done for us, we give generously. In Jesus' name, amen.